So this morning, we continue our series on values, and we've been talking about what are the things that we value as a community of faith, and what does that look like for us? And so um, we began last week talking about one particular value. We talked about extreme generosity and how it's the one thing in the scriptures that God says, test me in this and see that I won't bless you. If you'll be generous to me, I'll be generous to you with my blessing. Now, I wanted to be clear last week, and I'll reiterate again, that doesn't mean God will give you more money. So I just want us to understand that that's not necessarily what blessing means. But we have other things that we value as well. We value extravagant love, authentic relationships, right? And we're going to talk today about intentional growth. And we know that we also um, we want to make sure that that becomes a part of our life for us. And so I was thinking um, about today's message, and I'm going to do something that I don't advocate for. In fact, if I was teaching a preaching course, I would tell them not to do this. In fact, every course I took, several of them in preaching, and they all said, don't do this. So we're going to do it today. Um, you're supposed to only look at like one text and have one point. I have one point, but I'm looking at several texts. So if you're trying to hang with me, don't, because you won't be able to. Um, you can look at it later when you leave. So just write down the references, and you can find it later. But, but they don't advocate for this because it's just not the best way to preach. But it's what you get today. Sorry. Um, but I have this question. Have you ever wanted to learn a new skill? Like, there's this one thing you didn't know how to do, but you would like to know how to do it. I I was thinking about my parents, who would not call themselves academics. That would not be a phrase they would use to describe themselves. Um, And so that's why I was really surprised a few years ago when um, my mom and dad signed up for a a class at the local community college. And so they were going to go back to school. My mom actually went back and got an associate's degree, and my, my dad was taking classes. He had one goal in mind. He wanted to be more, become more proficient with computer. So he called the admissions counselor, and he's talking to her, and he's trying to describe what he wants. She says, okay, well, I'm going to have you skip level one, and we're going to go to level two. And he goes, no, no, no. I don't think you understand what I'm telling you. I want the class where they tell me how to turn on the computer first. We're not skipping anything. That's the whole reason why I'm coming to you. Right? He wanted to learn from the ground up. For many of us, we would love to learn lots of things from the ground up. It's the best way to learn. The problem for most of us comes in this reality. We've already learned things, or we think we've learned things, and so the reality for most of us, we have to unlearn things to really learn something. Catch that? We often unlearn something to learn something. And so this leads to a question that I think that many of us have to answer. What might happen if you and I were intentional learners? What if we intentionally learn things? Not like unintentionally, like we all learn stuff unintentionally. That's pretty easy to do. But what if we begin to recognize that God created us not only with the capacity to learn, but something in us that desires us longing to know more? In fact, for most of us, that's really not that hard. What if that's part of how we're created to be, right? That's not too hard. Because if I talked about your favorite pastimes or your favorite things, you probably have a passion to learn in those things, right? Like, that's true for most people. Most people have something they like to know a lot about. Like, if you're a car guy or you're a lady who likes shopping or whatever, if I were to talk about a particular thing, you'd be thoroughly engaged in the conversation. But what if, what if for all of us, God calls us to a life that includes intentional growth as non-optional? In fact, I would say it this way, um, there are lots of things that grow organically, mostly weeds. 
and we don't like them. I actually think for most of us, if we're intentional in what we learn or try to learn, we might find that we become more the person, the man or woman that God is calling us to be. Right? Because the most beautiful things, shrubs, good topiary stuff, like stuff that's beautiful and designed, and it's cultivated. It doesn't just happen by accident. And that's true for you and I as we learn. We don't learn by accident. I mean, we learn some things, but we don't usually become the best that we could be with unintentional growth. It takes intentionality. And so I would ask this question. What if God not only wants us to commit to following him, but living lives centered in growth? What if we live lives that were centered in this idea that growth matters? So um, one of the things, I, I read a lot, and so I, I've just finished a book, or almost finished a book, called The Language of God by a guy named Francis Collins. Many of you have no idea who Francis Collins is, but the good news is I'm going to tell you who he is. So if you didn't know, you will now. So here's Francis Collins' background, just to give you some, some background. Um, he has a bachelor's degree from the University of Virginia. He has a master's and a PhD from Yale in physical chemistry. I don't understand chemistry well enough to even think about doing that. Um, he's a medical doctorate from the University of North Carolina. He was head of the Human Genome Project from 1993 to 2008 under Presidents Clinton, Bush, and Obama. Um, so I'm just going to tell you what the Human Genome Project is because some of you are going, like, what is that, right? Okay. The Human Genome Project, HGP, was the international collaborative research program whose goal was the complete mapping and understanding of all the genes of human beings. All our genes together are known as our genome. And then since 2009, he's been the director of the National Institute of Health. Um, he served under President Obama, President Trump, and now under President Biden. Um, and if you're like, who is this guy? Well, he's Fauci's boss, if that's helpful. Right? They're like, oh, okay, I got it. Um, but why am I telling you all this? Like, his resume is pretty impressive. I mean, I'm not going to lie about that. But what has most impressed me about learning about Francis Collins is his commitment to both science and faith. And so one of the things that's fascinating about him is um, when he was doing his undergrad and even up to his Ph.D. work, he would have called himself an atheist. Um, as he went to med school, he, he shifted from atheist to agnostic. Like, maybe there's a God. He started stuff, but I'm, I'm just not in on whoever this God is. While he was doing med school, or while he was doing his residency, um, a woman asked him a question. And he said, I'll never forget this woman because she was humble and gentle. He said, you know, she wasn't someone who was like just off the church brilliant, but she was on her deathbed. She said, doctor, I have a question for you. What do you have faith in? What do you believe to be true? And he said, that simple question set me on a journey where I began to explore more and more, you know, meeting with a United Methodist pastor down the road and asking questions, and eventually he, too, became a Christian. And I say this because the more he sought the depth of science, the more he sought to know more, the more he eventually came to the place where he took a leap of faith, and he would say there is no quantifiable way that you can get to the place where you don't take a leap to believe in something. You don't become a Christian without faith or belief. He said, there, you, you can't justify No matter how much science I can give you, because he can give you a lot. Um, reading his book, I had to like do stuff in the dictionary and Google stuff to make sure I knew what in the world he was talking about. 
So why am I telling you this? Dr. Collins has always, from his earliest days through today, has had a life value of intentional growth. Now, here's the truth. You can have a value of intentional growth and not be a Christian. You can choose to be someone who values intentional growth, and I think it's a good skill to have in life. It's a good thing to do. But in his book, The Language of God, he, he kind of set out his goal to help people see that faith and science are not enemies, but they're two sides of the same coin. And what he proposes is the more we seek truth, the more we find God in the midst of it. And I think that's true. The problem for many of us is this, that we think, well, if I seek all these things with academic rigor, then I'll eventually leave my faith behind. Or the other side is true. I think if I seek all these things, faith, then I can't have academic rigor. Those are not true. They're not mutually exclusive. In fact, what we find is almost 50% of biologists in America are Christians. Shocks some of you in this room, right? You're like, oh, really? Yeah, most of them are. Well, half of them are. And so one of the difficult things for us is this, that I would say this, that we sometimes miss that the pursuit of truth is a divine gift from God. The pursuit of truth is a divine gift from God. Intentional growth matters. And so I, I do want to take a moment to talk about a word of caution today. And I almost left this section out. This is the thing I added actually last night because I thought about it all week and was going to leave it out, but felt like I couldn't. Um, there are millions of websites and blogs and opinion pieces all over the place. Get on the internet, it takes five minutes. Get on social media, everybody thinks they know everything, right? Um, Here's my challenge for you. When you look for information, look from places that have peer review. Look for places that can be sued for libel. Look for places that have reputable sources and academic credentials and not like certifications from some Joe Schmo place down the street. Um, look for reputable information, and here is why. One, if I can be sued for what I write, I'm probably going to think more carefully about what I write. The other side of this, um, the group that almost every study will show you right now that is most susceptible to conspiracy theory in these days are Christians. That should not be so. It should be the opposite, in fact. And so here's my challenge for that. Why does that matter? Why are you talking about that? Because it's costing us the witness of the church and the communities in which we live. And that matters. Because here's the thing. If I'm trying to sell someone something that's just not true, and then I want to tell them about Jesus, about this guy who rose from the dead, they're going to equate the two things as the same. So be careful what you're espousing online. Be careful what you read. Make sure it is reputable. It is better to hold your tongue and believe crazy stuff than it is to share it. So let's make sure, if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, that in our growth, we are seeking to be people who are not only wise, but discerning. So, um, like I said, that was, that's my kind of side note for that. But here's what I will say. Rarely does intentional growth happen without the humility to acknowledge what we don't know. In fact, most often, our greatest growth happens with others investing in us. 
I, I would think about this, I guess when I was in school, um, every college freshman thinks they know everything. Um, and then you realize like as you finish your freshman year, you still think you know everything. By the time you finish, hopefully you learned you don't know enough, right? I, I love when you get to know people who've gone through graduate school or even doctoral work, because they're usually the ones most often who like, they know a lot about, about a little, but they're also the first to acknowledge they don't know a lot. Because the more you learn, the more you realize how much more there is to know. So what that also teaches us is the best growth does not happen alone. The best growth does not happen alone. In fact, we see all throughout the scriptures, and here's the part where I'm about to jump around the scriptures. Sorry for that. But I just want you to see some images of how often our faith, our growth happens by virtue of other people, not in isolation. The idea that me and Jesus is enough is just not true. The idea of a self-made man or woman is not true, because even if it's, we're talking business, you have customers, and you have consumers, and you have clients, and you have someone who buys or pays for your services or products or whatever, and if they didn't exist, you'd have nothing. So let's first look at Jesus. We have these words from Luke 2, 46 and 47. This is when Jesus was a 12-year-old, by the way. Went missing from his family. Don't advocate for that part if you're 12 in here, if you're a teenager. Don't just, like, go hang out by yourself at the church when no one else is there. That's kind of what he did. Here's what we find. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. So this is Jesus, Son of God, Savior of the world, Holy God, fully man. And what, what's it say he's doing? He's listening and asking questions. Listening and asking questions. See, questions are central to our learning and growth. Like I just finished a leadership book, and in that book, what the author talked about, he has this kind of goal that every meeting he's in, he will ask two questions for every one comment he will give. And he says, not just like random questions, my goal is two good questions. He said, honestly, I'm silent a lot because coming up with two questions is not that easy. Questions are central for us growing. We could talk about Jesus' apostles, right? I don't have a particular reference for this. There's four books, so you can read them all. But, but in those four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see Jesus invest three years with these guys. They follow him everywhere. They eat meals with him. They stay with him. They travel with him. They listen to what he has to say. They didn't always get what he was saying, but they tried. It requires intentionality to follow someone. Now, I love this passage from, from the book of Acts, chapter 8. I'll read it to you. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandaki, which means queen of the Ethiopians. The man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot, heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. 
So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. As a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? They gave orders to stop the chariot, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. I love this story for lots of reasons, but I love the story. One, Philip, Philip's led by God into this situation that many of us were like, Yeah, someone else can take care of that, right? Um, but the cool thing about Philip is Philip already knew enough. Philip had already been an intentional learner to understand and know the scriptures. And then he goes to someone, the Ethiopian eunuch, who would not have been a believer in Jesus, but who is someone who is also an intentional learner. And in his desire to learn, Philip understood what he was reading and helped him know it as well. And in that, it ultimately led to a life transformation. Philip was able to baptize this man because they were both committed to intentional growth. I could talk about Barnabas with Paul in Acts chapter 9, and Barnabas mentors Paul. Paul was the one who was Saul, who'd been killing all these people and making sure the Christians were persecuted. And Barnabas, knowing his background, mentors him anyway. In fact, Barnabas is a pretty incredible person when it comes to mentoring. There's a guy named John Mark. We see him in Acts chapter 13, but in Acts chapter 13, he chickened out. We're not 100% sure why he chickened out, but we know he did. So Paul was done with him. We see Acts 15, we see the scene in which Paul and Barnabas go their separate ways. Why? Because Barnabas was going to look after John Mark. And Paul was done. Right or wrong, what happened? And before you go, well, I mean... Why, why wouldn't we be done with John Mark? Well, you're probably not John Mark, or John Mark if you ever read the Gospels because the book Mark, John Mark wrote it. In fact, one of the cool parts of this story is not long after Paul reached back out to Barnabas and said, hey, can I have John Mark to use? In other words, he had been restored. Barnabas wanted him to learn what it looked like to be faithful in the midst of this. And we have Paul to Timothy, and he wrote two letters about Encouragement, spiritual growth, and leadership. Paul continued to invest in him. We could talk more about this idea of Paul, and I love, I love the scene in Acts chapter 17. So here's why I love Acts chapter 17. It's Paul and Mars Hill. I love this for lots of reasons. Um, I love it because Paul, if, if you don't know Paul's story, Paul knew the entire Old Testament. Like, would have known it word for word. Not an exaggeration. He would have known it word for word. He also would have known what many commentators would have said about those same texts. I mean, the guy was, was incredibly intelligent. And so Paul finds himself in Athens, on Mars Hill. And so rather than quoting the Bible to people who don't believe in the Bible, just do that because that's not that valuable. He says, see, let me tell you about this. And so what he began to understand is even though there's some foundational things in the Old Testament, he didn't need it. And so, in fact, what we see in Acts chapter 15, just earlier than this, is that in that same chapter, the 
the early church leaders got together and like, okay, what's, what's, what's non-negotiable? Well, how about this? We tell Christians, don't eat meat sacrificed to idols and don't be sexually immoral. And they summarize pretty much the Old Testament in those two things. Recognizing the words of Jesus, which said, love God and love people. That was their summary of the whole Old Testament. That's what we see in Acts 15. So here's Paul who says, okay, I know that's true. So these Greeks don't need to memorize the Old Testament to know Jesus. It's not necessary. It's not a first step they need to take. But what would it look like? How do I understand their culture enough to speak to them? See, Peter struggled with this. That's why we see Acts 2. Peter's awesome. He's quoting the Old Testament. He's preaching to the Jews who already believed in God. They're kind of in on this. Acts 17, Paul goes, if I approach it from that same perspective, I'm wasting my time and theirs because they're not going to listen. So Paul recognizes the culture in which he's in, the people he's among. He has studied, he's learned about the culture in which Athens is. And he looks around and he goes, man, I know you guys are like, you're really educated people here. You really care about the academy. You really want to learn. Philosophy matters to you. I see all these things. And you're very religious. Do you, I see all your religious statues. Like there's, you value faith. But you also have this one particular altar. And I can't help but think this one particular altar that you have that says this, to an unknown God. What if, what if there was a way that this unknown God could be known? Not only what if this unknown God could be known, but what if this unknown God is really the only God? He's head of all the gods. He is the God. And what if somehow he came among us? And what if somehow he came among us as this person, Jesus? And what if this person, Jesus, died for your sake and for mine? Because we recognize brokenness exists. And he died so that he could come back to life. I know crazy, but to resurrect and redeem and make all things new. What if that is your unknown God? Paul could speak that because he understood the culture in which he was present. Do we understand the culture in which we live well enough to speak the language of the culture we're in? Do we understand the words of Jesus well enough to speak into the culture in which we live? You see, it requires intentional growth to know Jesus more. And it requires intentional growth to help others know Jesus. We can come to believe in simplicity. That's not hard. But the deeper we go, the broader our impact can be. In fact, it doesn't take long. If I want to go back, I could use some Old Testament analogies. And I won't spend a lot of time here. I'll just say this briefly. But if you were to look at the, three, the first three kings of Israel, Saul, David, Solomon, you can quickly see they were not great kings. Go read their stories. They started all pretty much in good spots. Like, I want God, give me wisdom. Help me know what to do. I want to do the right thing. I want to be humble and serve you. And then they ended all in the same spot. Oh, I just know better than you do. I'm good. I don't need input from anybody else. They quickly dismissed the prophets of God and did their own thing, and they paid the price for that. So that's a reminder for us, a willingness to grow should never stop no matter what we have attained in life, no matter what position we have acquired, no matter where we are, no matter our age. We should desire to learn. And truthfully, that's what Francis Collins, why I mentioned him earlier, that's what he and Paul both represent, this desire to know more. And here's what I want us to understand. The pursuit of more knowledge 
and the pursuit of truth lead us to the same place. God. We should not be afraid of science, philosophy. We should lean in. Be engaged in the conversation. We shouldn't be dismissive of. We shouldn't be trying to be narrow-minded in the way we do these things. I mean, I, there's long conversations on those particular topics too, and talk about. It. We'd love to, but 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 not right now. Um, but because you eventually want to eat lunch and take a nap. I get how this works, right? Um, but what we so often forget is that we need other people to help us grow. Because our growth doesn't happen on our own. And so I want you to watch this brief interview so we can see that together. Well, Shelby and Riley, thanks for um, having a conversation with me today. As you know, we're in the series talking about our values. And one of our values is intentional growth. And so one of the things I've just been impressed by it's how you guys come to church really together, and then you take notes and all kinds of other things. So I just want you to kind of tell us about your growth and your journey and your faith. So um, we'll let you guys just go from there. So Riley, go ahead. So Shelby and I didn't really, we weren't friends for like a long time, but we're still so close. But it kind of started, we've talked about it multiple times about how God has definitely brought us like closer together and brought us into each other's lives. And then COVID happened. Everything shut down, and I guess that also brought us closer together, and then we started hanging out, and now we're here, and so we've only been friends for like six or seven months, and I guess that's how we got here, and I asked her, like, do you want to come to church? I wanted to start going after I found how hard COVID was, like how hard quarantine and not being able to socialize with other people, how hard it hit me and my family just with like mental stuff and not being able to see people. And I was like, I definitely want to start going to church once it opens back. Like, do you want to come with me? And she's like, yeah, sure. So that's kind of how we got here. Yeah. And I feel like the people, <laughs> I feel like the people in my life have definitely brought me closer to God because like with Riley, she's a huge influence because she's like always grown up like in the church and stuff. And I didn't actually get to do that. I used to go like with my and stuff when I go to Wisconsin but it's like once every like once a, um once a year and um starting like senior year like when we started going to first Presley I started to like actually put a hold on my faith and like um just like I kind of just like took it on on myself to learn more about it and just grow in that way and I just feel like the people in my life have just brought me like so close to God and I like to surround myself with people that will help me do that and like I always go to church like with Riley and like she kind of started um put me on reading the bible like a lot and that's definitely helped me a lot too well go ahead and tell me a little bit I know um I don't want to tell your story but tell me kind of what so if I'm if I'm wrong correct me but okay. one of you I think if I heard right uh would take notes from sermons on Sunday mornings and even go over them like at home later um, is that is that accurate? So talk about that some and what that's how that's been valuable to you and that kind of thing. Yeah, so I'm the type of person that likes to look back on like pictures and notes and stuff that I take and like to see how much I've grown from that. And like I um go back at my notes and I can see like all the stories that you used in your service and stuff and like just I get like the most out of each like, sermon that I'm doing. And then for me I just started taking notes just because it's 
sometimes it's really hard for me to pay attention and I get distracted very easily. So I just figured that note helped me a lot. So I started doing that. And now when I'm like going through a hard time or I think of something that I learned back in church, I'm like, oh, that's great. So um, thanks you guys for sharing. I appreciate like just your stories. And uh, is there anything else you want to add to what you have to say or kind of just anything about growth or the way you have sensed that the way you've become more intentional in these activities, the way it's helped you grow? Anything you want to add to that? definitely like us becoming friends because I had always gone to church like with my aunt and cousins and stuff but like it was just kind of to go not really to learn anything but definitely meeting Shelby and us being able to go with someone and like just to have someone to relate that to and talk about because sometimes we'll get in the car and we'll be like that was a good service like and then we'll like relate to each other so, yeah, I think that has really helped in, like, how she said how we both started reading the Bible more, which I had never done. So I'm like, okay, I have to start doing this. So I started reading the gospel. So that's what I think. Yeah, and just, like, um, what she said, like, reading the Bible, I just kind of, like, I learned more about how I should live my life nowadays and, like, comparing myself, like, from a year ago, I'm such a different person, even though I called myself a Christian. Like, a year ago, I'm just, like, a different type of Christian. And, like, I'm just proud of how far I've come. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing. So it's it's fair for me to say, then, that part of your intentional growth has been each other. So that's one of the cool things about growing together is often it's together. It happens better than anywhere. So mm-hmm. thanks, you guys, for, for sharing. And we're glad you're a part of Connection yeah. I'm glad, too. <laughs> I don't know what your next step needs to be today. I don't know what it looks like for you to take a next step towards intentional growth, but I would challenge you to take your next step. So I'll use an example. So Trevor Workman was our youth pastor here and now pastor of Church in Grand Rapids, and he hates to read. He made it abundantly clear. He made it clear when he worked here, and he made it clear when he left here. You know, like, he doesn't like to read. However, he, he goes, I know it's like the quickest life hack. It's the easiest way to learn information. So he read 20 books last year. He would also tell you he read most of them audiobooks. We live in a day and age when there are all kinds of options for you. So here is my challenge. Learn. Read books. Go audiobooks if you need to. Do the audiobook and look at the book if that's helpful, right? Whatever that would look like for you. There are apps available for your smartphone. Almost everyone has one of these, right? I mean, you sit in your pocket a lot. Some apps that are helpful, like there's an app called Infinitum by a woman named Danielle Strickland. She puts it together for people who don't like to read. And so it gives you like a daily prompt. Do this. Maybe that would be helpful for you. Maybe you need to, there's the Bible app. There's also these videos. So like if you're like, I don't really like to read the Bible, there's a thing called the Bible Project. Just Google Bible Project and these videos will come up and you can watch the videos. And so you can get the Bible in brief periods of time by watching a video. Simple, right? Listen to podcasts. Find a mentor. I don't care how old you are. Find a mentor. See, the way mentorship works is you have to ask someone to mentor you. They're not going to just come do it. You have to ask. And then it's on you to set up the appointments. That's how that works. Because it means you want to grow. It's your intention to grow. So here's what I believe. When Christians have sought truth in science, in social services, in all the various areas of life, it has literally changed the world for the better. Become people of intentional say it this way, as Shelby and Riley help us to see that intentional growth 
can lead to more authentic relationships. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together today. We thank you for the way in which you come near to us, the way you love us as we are where we are, but the way you also desire for us to become people of growth who learn more, who become more mature in our faith over years and don't just stay where we are because stagnation is not an option for people who are part of the kingdom of God. So help us to be people who value intentional growth in all areas of our life. And be with us this week as we go. We pray in Jesus' name.